1: Visit Burna.com slash Jesse now for an exclusive 10% discount. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? Oh yes, it's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. I have your stack of emails in front of me here. I will churn through them and get to your Ask Dr. Jesse questions in time, people. In time. That's such a cool way to say that, Chris. What? Yeah, it is. Makes me sound important. Like a real renaissance man, which we all know I am. Community college credits. Construction background. All right, stop. Stop distracting me. We're talking about the Battle of the Marne. And it is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. You can also call 877-377-4373 or email throughout the show. We will get to it. We will get to it. Now... Briefly, I'm going to recap the setup. I'm not doing it all. We just have to go listen to yesterday's show if you want the setup for this. But France, Germany kind of don't like each other, really don't like each other. They don't like each other to the point where they are actively war gaming, fighting each other. And I, I mean, actively, openly. Germany has a plan called the Schlieffen Plan to invade France. The point of the Schlieffen Plan was to to knock out France before France's ally, Russia, could get into the war. Part of the Schlieffen Plan, really the entire Schlieffen Plan, was, well, we'll send 10% of our troops over to, to, to the Eastern Front to fight Russia in case they send anybody. We'll send the other 90% into France, but a bunch of them are going to go through Belgium first, which was a completely neutral country. But that was the unfortified portion of France. What we'll do is we'll tear through Belgium, then tear through that unfortified border, head down to Paris, take Paris. France is gone. It's ours. And they had a time schedule. And I mean, you go look at the details of this thing. We're talking down to the day. We must be here, here. We must be there, there. This must be complete at this time. They had figured all this. I mean, it was very German, very mathematic. They had, they had it figured out. The head of the French forces... Now this, I'm going to give you three names. I might give you a couple more today, and I apologize about that. You know how much I hate that, but there are just a few people that have to be pointed out today. The head of the German forces, his name was von Moltke. You need to think of him like a complete dunce, because that's pretty much what he was. He was old and weak and useless. Ended up having a nervous breakdown at the end of this whole thing and just essentially being retired. He just lost his mind. Useless. The, the, the top German dude, Von Molke, useless. That's what you need to remember. The top French dude, Joseph Joff, or Jaffa, or Jaffra, heard it a, a thousand different ways. I'm not French. I'm an American. Awesome. Completely unflappable. He was the tall, fat dude I talked to you about. yesterday. fat not, but might not be fair, but big. He was the dude who stopped for a professional lunch every day, no matter what was happening. The dude who was constantly visiting the front with his professional race car driver driving him around. Joffa, Joff is awesome. awesome. Got to introduce two more people to you today don't mean to just shotgun them all right in your face, right off the bat, but I figure we might as well get all this out of the way. One, and this is is going to make it even more confusing, which is why I hesitated to even do so, but it's going to matter. The head of the British forces that show up eventually, and don't worry, I'll get to why here in a minute. His name is John French. I understand that's going to make it difficult. (laughs) I'm going to be really clear every time I talk about him, but the head of the British forces was John French, and it makes it even worse because part of our story today is how bad French hated the French. (laughs) They did not get along at all. No, I'm not calling him Johnny F. Chris. What's wrong with you? And then there are a couple other German generals I will get to when the time comes, but that's just too much for now. Too much for now. We talked yesterday already about the machine guns and the artillery and the advancements. And we need to stop for a brief moment again and talk again about the artillery. This artillery can fire from nine miles away, the artillery of the Germans. It's so powerful and so huge, it has to be brought together piecemeal. Like you don't ship it as one big piece. You assemble it where you're going to fire it from. You then, if you're going to shoot it, get th- this just has to be awe-inspiring. If you're going to fire the gun, you have to go like 300 yards away, lay down, put cotton wadding in your ears and eyes, And fire the weapon with your mouth open or it will shatter all your teeth out. I'm not exaggerating any of that. That has to be astounding. Now, that's what it's like to shoot it. What do you think it's like to be shot by it? What does that look like on the other end? To put it mildly, it's unlike anything anyone on the planet had ever seen before. Uh, World War One is a story of, I, I've told you several times, any war, any time period in history, pick your number one you would not want to have fought in, World War One is mine, easily. Not even close. There are still videos out there to this day, I think they're on YouTube, they might not be though, but I think they're on YouTube, of World War I troops, veterans, walking around when they're done with the war and they're shaking almost look almost look hammered drunk like their legs don't work their body looks like it's made of jelly just walking only they're totally sober we are talking such so, such carnage so much noise so much violence so much everything their nervous system just broke down just completely broke it doesn't work anymore the the videos are honestly Even though these guys are long dead and gone, they're some of the saddest things you've ever seen. Just just awful. Awful. And it's time to get to the show. As we talked about yesterday, the Germans stormed through Belgium, which was what many people say a huge mistake. I don't necessarily agree with that, but let's understand this. Diplomatically, it was a disaster disaster on the world stage. One, it brought the Brits into the war. Britain was overall probably the most powerful nation on earth at this time. Very tiny land army. That was their doctrine, and we'll actually get to why that's important in a minute. Very tiny land army, but, I mean, on the high seas, as you well know, unmatchable. Absolutely unmatchable. And colonies everywhere could pull troops from their colonies. That's part of why you have colonies. Oh, hey, guess what y'all are about to do? You know, that's why you do it. And Germany storms into Belgium. The Belgian king, I believe his name is Albert, says, no, we will not step aside. Because Germany not only told them to step aside, Germany told them, look, step aside. And anything we damage, we'll pay for it. Just, just step aside. Like, they were trying, I guess, to be nice. I See, I sound like I'm defending the Germans because I love the Germans so much. They're trying, kind of the belgians do not step aside they blow up railways they blow up blow up bridges they employ we didn't talk about this yesterday they employ snipers and that kind of changes a lot i'll explain You need an auto protection plan. You just do. I, it, car repairs suck. I hate them. I'm struggling with it right now, and it, it's it's more than just the time. You know, take your vehicle down to the shop. Try to get a rental. Try to get insurance to cover that. Try to do. It's it's more than the time. It's the money. It's never a fifty dollar fix, is it ever? Every time you drive by the daggone mechanic, it costs you a fortune. You have to have an auto protection plan these days, so why not go with America's number one auto protection company? That's CarShield. CarShield even lets you choose your favorite mechanic or dealership. Even when traveling, you choose the repair shop. That's freaking awesome. Go to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Use the code JESSE. That actually saves you 10%.
0: This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out.
1: Snipers are, it's difficult to describe what they are unless you've been into combat. You know, obviously, what a sniper is. You know what a sniper does. It's hard to explain the fear and anger a sniper creates in an army, in troops, anywhere. Anybody who's ever been in combat, where, where there were any snipers at all, will tell you about it. It's um, what's the best way I can put this. It's it's like a shark attack. You know, like a shark attack. part of the reason it's so frightening is you don't know where they are. you can't see it coming, and all of a sudden they're there. That's That's why a sniper is terrifying. It's one thing to be in combat, which is scary enough. It's another thing entirely to have no idea what's coming, when it's coming, to know that you could be sitting there eating lunch with your buddies, and boom, he's shot in the face. It's, it's that kind of constant anxiety and tension, it, it can get to you. This is going to sound like I'm defending the Germans. I'm just trying to explain what's happening because what happens next As they go through Belgium, as the Belgian snipers start sniping off Germans, what happens next is the Germans incorporate punishment for everybody. Oh, oh, you had a sniper in that town? Well, let's line up 600 of you men and women and firing squad, all of you. I don't want to act like what the Germans did in Belgium was like what the Mongols did. I don't want to act like it was as bad as the newspapers in Britain and France made it out to be. This is where they started calling the Germans Huns and acting like they were barbarians. They made up stories about Germans bayoneting babies and things like that. It was not that. However, it wasn't a pat on the back either. They burnt down a library that had medieval manuscripts in it, a, a treasure, a Belgian treasure. They shelled a cathedral. Accidental or not, you shell a cathedral. That's going to be scandalous. Now you're, now you're against God. You know how that gets played up, right? Nobody's going to want to hear about the artillery shell going a little wide. Now you're a devil against God. And the propaganda this ginned up, and now the Brits have to get in the war on behalf of the Belgians. They have to get in the war and fight with the French. And the propaganda internationally, you should go look at it to this day. I mean, you, I'm pretty sure you can Google image search it, and you'll see one of the first ones I think I remember if I looked it up was a German. I I think he was like all in black and you could see the whites of his eyes and a a bloody bayonet was in his. I mean, the guy looked like a monster. Hitler famously, one of the reasons, Do you know why Hitler had uh, Joseph Goebbels or Goebbels, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And Goebbels was Hitler's propagandist. You know, he would make movies and all these other things and push propaganda out there. The Nazi propaganda machine was extremely effective. Part of the reason was exactly this moment right here. Hitler watched the international newspapers turn the Germans into these absolutely demonic people, and it, it created such bitterness in him. He thought that that was so unjust, but also decided that's also really smart. We should employ that for our own uses. A lot of that started right here. The Belgians do fight back, as I said. They do slow the Germans down, but the Germans still get through. They blow the Belgians out of their fort, forts, plural. The Belgians at one point in time are going to allow the Germans, and through no fault of their own, I mean, their cities are getting sacked. The Germans are going to get through a specific area. The Belgians blow the levees and flood their, a huge portion of their own country with salt water. Just so the Germans can't get through it. I mean, they've really, really acquitted themselves well. They, they really did. Props to the Belgians. They, they did very, very well. Good for them. But the Germans do get through. Now to the French slash British alliance. This gets really, really complicated and really, really ugly. France and Britain don't like each other. They don't like each other now. They didn't like each other in World War I time. They didn't like each other in the year freaking 1500. France and Britain do not like each other. They are, however, about to fight Germany together, mainly because of Belgium. I mean, Germany actually thought and lobbied heavily that Britain would get them in the war on their side. Or in the very least, sit out. You know, they they didn't they didn't have some animosity with Britain. However, you're Britain, you're the greatest empire in the world, you have a reputation to uphold, you have signed an agreement to defend Belgium. Now, there's a way of thinking in Britain. Don't think that this was, you know, a foregone conclusion. There was a way of thinking of um. We're going to get into a war with the largest land army on earth? Why? This is not our fight. Screw Belgium. Why do we even care? But the other way of thinking, and honestly, they weren't wrong about this, was, remember, we're still in the colonial age? Part of the deal of of colonialism, colonization, I forget what the word is now, Chris, it doesn't matter. Part of the deal of being a colonial power is this. Yeah, they're going to give you troops. They're going to pay taxes. You're, you're going you're gonna to take some goods and services from their land. However, you're going to be there to defend them so they don't have to defend themselves. That's part of being a colonial power. Oh, you're a poor African nation. Well, that sucks for you. I'm going to need some taxes and some troops. And I'm going to go ahead and take some of your diamonds and goods and services. Oh, oh, you're under attack. We're on the way. Here to help. It is a bit of a two-way street. So it wasn't really about Belgium. It was about all the other territories Britain controlled. If you're just going to let the Germans slap around the Belgians, then what are we letting you in here for? You have to defend them. But as I mentioned earlier, the British land army is tiny, is putting it mildly for a power that size. I mean, they're a naval power. They have some troops here and some troops there. And to their credit, the troops they do have are absurdly experienced and awesome. Because they only have a few of them. They keep the they keep the NCOs and officers. And these guys have been all over the world fighting. We are talking incredible troops. There just aren't very many of them. And so the Brits, they pile up a BEF of the British Expeditionary Force and they say, Off to France with you. Have fun, John French. Remember, John French is the British commander. A reminder. And they inform him as he's leaving. Um This is our entire army. You had better come back with it. Which, obviously, no commander ever, or I should say few of them, wants to go into battle and lose all of his troops. But as a a commander, you always have to do risk assessment. In order to do certain things that you have to do, you know men are going to die. Sir, I need you to take this hill. Okay, uh, I'll I'll take the hill. We're probably going to lose 20, 30 men. You know what? We're ordered to take the hill. We'll do that. Let's make some effort to see if we can only lose 10. Okay, that's, that's what you do. Hang on. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. It is time. It is time to start the process. You must have a gold IRA. You know, you've heard what I talked about. You've heard what's happening financially, globally, right now. Now we're having more outbreaks, more lockdowns, more shutdowns. It's going to break. The system cannot withstand this. Debt doesn't disappear because you want it to. When it breaks, if all your money is in stocks and bonds, you're going to be wiped out. I don't want you to do something drastic. I just want you to go get a gold IRA from gold Alliance. They'll help you diversify your retirement. goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse Protect your retirement income. In defense of John French, the man in charge of the British troops and his conduct going forward, he was ordered... Don't lose all of our troops. It is very, very, very difficult to go fight when you're worried about losing all your guys and you get there and look around you and men are dying by the thousands. Keep in mind, nobody in the history of warfare had ever seen carnage like this on this scale. There are very few times in history where you can say, this has never happened before. We love saying that now, right? Oh, please. It's all happened before. All of it. It has. World War I was when the technology changed so much that these casualty numbers had never Happened before. It wasn't possible to kill that many people in, in one day. It just was not possible. Not in that way. And one day of this battle, Battle of the Marne, I, I want you to picture this. In one day, the French lost 27,000 people, not casualties, dead. You, as an American, by the grace of God, cannot even relate to that to this day. You can't, there's nothing in our history that even comes close. I think our deadliest day ever was uh, probably Antietam. We're at the seven, eight, nine thousand people, maybe. 27,000 in one day. So if you're John French, head of the British forces, and you've been told not to lose the whole army, and you're looking around, and there are whole armies dying, that's going to create some apprehension. Just keep that in mind going forward. Because he lands there. And they now have to come up with some kind of a strategy. Now, a few things are happening at once. All right, The Germans are through Belgium, understand that. They're marching through Belgium. They're through. It's French time. They are now on French soil. Joseph Joff, he's got the French lined up, ready to go, organized. However, he has another huge problem. He has to defend Paris itself. Remember, the Germans are coming for Paris and everybody knows it. And and again, another thing we can't really relate to unless you were around during the War of 1812. They were aiming for Paris with a great shot of taking it. The government in Paris packed up and left. They they, They moved the entire government. Think how wild that would be. You wake up this morning, Donald Trump, the Senate, Congress, Supreme Court, uh, they're moving to uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, because Washington, D.C. is under attack. That's crazy, right? Well, they packed up and left. So the French also had to defend Paris. They chose this great general. You don't have to worry about remember his name. Galliani was his name. He's a legend in France. And they choose him. To defend Paris, Joseph Joff goes around to all of his armies and grabs people from all of his armies, armies that really can't afford to lose people, but he has to have the men and goes and forms an entirely new army to defend Paris. Gallieni is now in Paris with an army, imposes martial law, we are here. We will fight and die for Paris, period. That's the kind of situation we're in here. The Germans, they, I mean, von Molke, von Molke, von Molke, however you want to say it. Von Molke is how I say it. Von Molke, he creates what I say is a crucial error. error. Many people say it's a crucial error. Many people say it wasn't. But remember the plan was slam through France as fast as possible before Russia can take you out. Get in there. Get it done. Because if you don't, if you don't take France, essentially the thinking was the war is lost. So that's why you're putting everything into France. You still have Russia to worry about. The plan was you only send a few people over to the Russian border because the Russians are going to be so slow they're not going to get there in time. But I should clarify, if the Russians do happen to get there in time and you can't stop them, well, you know what? Go pull up a map right now of Berlin. If you don't stop the Russians or if the Russians get there early, um, the Russians are going to walk into Berlin like it's not even an effort at all. The Ber- Berlin's on the eastern part of Germany. They're going to take your country from the rear while you're messing around in France. So if I have to defend von Molke, that's how I'll defend him. What he does is he takes troops, troops they badly need on the western front against France, and he sends them east to to fight the Russians who mobilized faster than the Germans thought. Hindsight's 2020 looks to be an incredibly stupid move now because, just to spoil it for you, as luck turns out, the Russians did send troops early, but the troops the Germans had sent east were so superior to the Russians, they beat the crap out of a huge Russian army, in fact two of them, before the reinforcements ever got there. So by the time the reinforcements got there, the Germans had already won and said, Whoa, what are you doing here? Go back west. Why are you here? So it turned out to look really, really dumb in hindsight. But the Germans pushed through. You know the situation on the ground now. The French have lined up. The Germans are pushing down in three different armies, three different lines. It looks like a trident. Think of an upside-down trident. That's what it looks like. Three different lines, three different armies, they're heading towards Paris. Now here's the army you need to worry about. And I'm sorry for the nerd-out details. There's no way I can describe this battle for you without them, though. So you're just going to have to grin and bear it. The German commanders of the three different armies, they don't get along. And the middle prong of that trident, And then the western prong of that trident, the commanders of those two hate each other. It creates a huge problem during this battle. The guy on that western prong is by far the most important of the armies. Why? Because he's the one that is tasked with not only going the furthest because he has to swing so wide... So his men have to walk further, longer than anyone else's. His horses have to go longer than anyone else's. And let's not discount the horses. Really briefly here, one army, this guy's army, one army, their horses required 2 million pounds of food a day. Staggering logistical numbers when you think about actually supporting an army of that size. So he has to go far. His men are hungry. His horses are hungry. You're not moving the artillery without horses. And he's tasked with not allowing the French around his flank on the Atlantic side. If you allow the French around your flank on the Atlantic side, you're finished. They're going to circle you and finish you. That's going to matter a lot here in a moment. The guy in the middle... In his defense, his name's Von Bulo. You don't have to remember remember that, I guess. But the guy on the far, the guy in the west, the guy that has to go furthest and fastest, his name's Von Kluk. The guy in the middle's Von Bulo. They hate each other, and Von Bulo is always complaining about Von Kluk. You're getting too far away from me. Now my center's exposed. You're creating gaps. Get back here. They they hate each other. They're always bickering. It's awful. Hang on.
0: Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so?
1: Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. Hometitlelock.com can save you a lot of headache. It can save you tens of thousands of dollars. And you know what? Let's let's stop there for a moment. You understand that's what it's going to cost you if they get your home title, right? It's easy for these guys to get your home title. It's online. They get it. They forge your signature on it. They take a loan out against it. By the time you realize what has happened, you have to go to court. You don't just get to write a letter, send a text, make a phone call. You have to go to court. Not one time either. You will need an attorney. I don't know if you've heard. Attorneys cost money. A lot of money. You could just get HomeTitleLock.com right now and not ever have to worry about it. Ever. Ever. Go protect yourself. HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Do not forget, use the promo code RADIO. That gets you 30 days for free. It is funny how often egos, pride, personalities get in the way, or they can save things, too. I, I, you and I always like to think that, and you know, headquarters somewhere, headquarters of a major war. You've got just a bunch of really smart dudes. Working together, all of them for the greater good. We have one mission here, gentlemen. One big team. We should go out for tea after. Historically, it is very, very, very difficult to get huge ego generals to work together. It almost cost France and Britain... It almost cost them this war at this very moment. And it probably, you can make the argument, it did cost Germany the war in this moment. Von Kluck and Von Bulo, they hate each other, bickering with each other. Von Kluck thinks his men have been worked a little too hard and you can come to me if you'd like to close the gap between our two armies. I'm the one out here swinging wide. It's, it's a very difficult situation. And remember, von Molke, the head of all this, the guy who, who should be bashing heads together and said, you will get along with him or you're both fired, he's sitting back in headquarters feeling sorry for himself, completely useless. But the Germans are advancing. Their troops are doing well. Now they are slowing down. They had planned and planned and planned and planned for this, and even still, they're running out of food. They're running out of water, and that's really the danger in so many of these war plans and war games is even if you're conscious of it, and like today even, they're conscious of this. They know this, but it is so hard when you're moving pieces around the map and and this unit here, and hold on, old chap. Let's move this unit here. That's flesh and blood. Horses and men. Flesh and blood. It has to sleep. It has to eat. It has to drink water. Did you allot enough time in there for that? I've told you before, uh, you know, you'll go on a hump in the Marine Corps. And it's just the most brutal physical thing you can go through ever. It just destroys your body. Brutal and we would go on your know, 10 15 mile hump. And we would do it. We could do it. Carrying a lot of weight, we do it, we get done. But you would and this is when I mean you're as young and in shape and fit as you'll ever be in your life. And you'll limp for a day or two. Your feet are shot. Your knees are shot. My back used to bleed. My pack would rub a weird way on my back, and my they used to have to peel, pour water on and peel my undershirt off my back because the blood would have dried it to it. But you'll get these guys creating these war plans, like in situations like this, the Battle of the Marne, where, all right, well, they'll, what they'll do is they'll march 15 miles this day, and then 15 miles the next day, and then 15 miles the next day, and then 15 miles the next day, the next day because you can do that on paper, right? And you can do that for a day or two. Real life flesh and blood can't do that. The body breaks down. You just can't do it. Germany's advancing. They're doing very well. They are running out of steam as they march towards Paris, though, just because they're running out of stuff. Now, on the other side, it's going slightly better but they have a humongous British-slash-French conflict problem. And the problem is simply this. The French are understandably desperate. This battle is taking place on French soil, mind you, with the French capital under direct assault or about to be under direct assault. The French are already still sore from that Franco-Prussian war they lost. France is desperate. France knows they could very well lose their entire country at this moment. So if I can defend the French, which always hurts, but if I can defend the French, they're desperate. And desperate people oftentimes are extremely impolite, if we could put it that way. Lack. (laughs) voice crack there Chris, lack tact the French are being very very demanding of the British troops who are not under French command I can't emphasize that enough, John French and his British troops are not working for the French the Brits are separate go here, no I don't think I will you have to go here we need you to, okay well you yelling at me is not going to get me to go anywhere And the French are asking the Brits. It's Now, these aren't risks the French aren't taking themselves, but the French are asking the Brits to take huge risks. What was John French's one big order? Don't do that. Hang on. The French are being demanding of the British. The British are helping, but being extremely cautious at a time you really can't be cautious. And again, I sympathize big time with the French at this point. They need every man with a rifle. Brits, we need you up here. The Brits are saying, whoa, um, I'm not risking my whole army here. We're not in Britain. We're in France. We're here to help, but... Not that much. And like I said, the personalities, the pride, the egos, they keep getting in the way. These French generals, they keep fighting openly with John French, and it's causing a rift. And remember Joseph Joff, the head of the French army? He's a legend for a lot of reasons, but this exact moment is really when he begins to earn his key. Hang on.
0: This is The Jesse Kelly Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show.
1: As the Germans advance towards Paris, the French are fighting desperately... An opportunity arises. An opportunity for the French. Now, how did this opportunity come about? With something brand new in combat. Again, World War I is so fascinating. I I could just, I could do every show on World War I. I geek out on it because there are so many firsts and never befores. And you can hardly ever say that. They've never used planes in combat before, ever, because there weren't planes. And so now you have planes. How do you even use them in combat? Well, the main thing they did with them in World War I was reconnaissance. Go check things out. And we take that for granted, don't we? We forget about how confusing combat can be. Because we always what are you doing? You're watching a documentary or you're listening to me talk about it. And you have this overview. You're, you're, you're God looking down on it. You can see it all. Well, the guys on the ground can't see it all. And you don't always have intelligence on which units are where and how many there are. And that that is critically important. So the airplane offered that, the ability to do that, and it that, that ability had never been there before. You can have a bird's eye view. What's the enemy doing? Where are they going? And the French, to their credit, very much to their credit, were using it. And they flew ahead of the German or over top of the German armies. And they looked down and what did they see? They saw a gap. You want your armies to be one long continuous line because if the enemy pushes through a gap in your line, they can either encircle you or keep charging back and go destroy your supply line. Either It's it's death. It's just a war doctrine since the beginning of time. You don't let an, an enemy through your line. You keep your lines together so they can't get through your line. Period. Well, again, we have three different armies here and remember, those the middle one and the western one, the commanders hate each other, they're not getting along, and overhead comes this French plane and there's a huge gap in the line. This gap has formed Because the French are going around the flank of that German army on the west. The German army on the west can't let that happen, so they have to stop and turn and fight them. But the guy in the middle, because he's a jerk and he's not coordinating, doesn't stay butted up against his buddy who's fighting the French. He lets a gap get created there. The French fly overhead. They see it and they know... This is the time. We can attack now, push through and stop them. So, in one of the great moves of all time, remember that French general I told you in Paris, Gallieni? He takes his army of Paris and he says, We are going to sally forth, which is something you never do in combat. He's in a fortified position. He's going to leave his fortified position when he's not even under attack yet to go attack the Germans. Now, the best part is how they got there. Again, he has imposed martial law. He orders all the taxis of Paris to taxi his men five at a time up to the front lines. Four in the cab, one in the trunk. And the taxis of Paris drove a French army up there. The, Fran- the uh, France as a nation, to their credit, paid all the taxicab drivers back for their service after the war. Drove them up there. Okay, great, but we need one more thing. We need the British. We need the British not just to stand there. We need those British troops, those wonderful British troops, to charge through that gap in the line. Well. Are you seeing how that's going to be a problem? The Brits who want to play it fairly safe. Fairly safe is being so unfair to the Brits. They were fighting this whole time, too. They're just not taking huge chances to have their whole army wiped out. Now you have a French commander asking the British commander... To take a big risk because getting into the gap sounds nice strategically, but it also means you're surrounded. The British commander, John French, says, no, I don't think I will. Screw you. Until Joseph Joff gets together with him. And Joseph Joff, like I said, this is where he earns his pay. Maybe the best thing you can say about the man, and there are plenty great things you can say about the man, is he could bring these generals with huge egos together. He goes, and this is a famous moment, people have written about it forever, he goes and he sits down with this British commander, John French, and he essentially says, I'm paraphrasing here, we need you now. Britain's honor is at stake. You better jump in now. He's not threatening him. He's imploring him. Please, for the sake of your country's honor, help us now. We can win this thing. The British commander, John French, is apparently so moved that he tries to respond in French and can't get the words out, so his translator has to respond to Joseph Joff and essentially says, Whatever men can possibly do, that's what we're going to do. I'm in. And they do it. And they charge through that gap in the German lines. And this is the moment Germany probably lost the war. Even though the war didn't end for four more years, and there were still plenty of opportunities at various times. The British almost dropped out. The French almost dropped out. The Russians flat out did drop out at one point. But Germany, once, once that gap gets penetrated, you have to pull back. You don't have an option. The Germans stop because they have to. They stop their advance, and they pull their armies back, So there's nobody else in between the gap. And that was that. The Battle of the Marne was lost. Now, I know what you're saying, Jesse, but why didn't the French just keep pushing and wipe them out? Remember, it's not just the Germans who were running out of food and ammunition. The French tried. The Germans, when they pulled back, they pulled back in an orderly fashion, found themselves on a ridge dug into said ridge, and the French went charging up there and got mowed down like grass. The French ran out of gas. The Germans ran out of gas. And that trench warfare you love to think about so much when you think about World War I, this, this is where it began. With the Germans pulling back, digging in, French getting shot to pieces so they dig in, And thus began the most horrific year of combat in world history, in my opinion. They say, I think I have this right, I think the last five or six months of 1914, more people died during 1914 than any other year of the war. This was where the trenches got dug and the generals... Still didn't know what they were doing. And they're doing cavalry charges against machine gun nests. Pull out your saber. Let's go for a charge. Yeah, you're all dead. That was really stupid. They're still wearing idiotic uniforms. The Germans, to their credit, were in dark uniforms. The French are still wearing red pants. But that is the Battle of the Marne. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773 That's 888 84 jesse or go to timesharejessie.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out.
0: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together, we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Reality. Reality.